Welcome back, friends. You guessed it, another holiday at Casa de Blood. Happy Wade Garrett Day, everyone. Yeah, Chester's excited about this one, too. He's a big Wade Garrett fan, you understand. He'd sit outside my door and listen to me narrate all those books. Hey, Chester, let everyone hear your Barry impression. Not bad, right? Now do Kenneth. Spot on. Come on in, friend. Chester, you keep practicing. You're really showing some promise. Mmm. That's better. So, smoke them if you've got them and drink those glasses to the bottom, friends. Cause old Drew Blood has some books to peddle. Oh, hey. I didn't see you there. You know, Drew Blood's Dark Tales is only one of the many shows on this network you could be listening to. We hope you'll subscribe to our entire lineup, including Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Fear from the Heartland, and Horror Hill. All available on YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. Also, visit simplyscarypodcast.com to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you get our entire catalog ad-free and available to download or stream. A bargain. And now, back to the show. All right. Tonight, we welcome Wade H. Garrett, an extreme horror author from right here in Texas. Now, I've narrated several of his audiobooks with a few more to come. Tonight's story is a spinoff from our last audiobook, The Grave Digger, which I hope you all will take a listen to. Later on, we're going to give y'all a little taste of it for free. And, uh, a word to the wise. And listen up, because this is important. If the kids are around, you might want to pop in the old earbuds. No, I mean it, y'all. You've been warned. Remember I said extreme horror author? Alright, from author Wade H. Garrett, I give you... Damnation. Hoodlums. In 2008, on a Tuesday evening in San Augustine, a small East Texas town, Bill Vickers and Gabriel Lechuga lingered next to a burning 55-gallon barrel. On the ground next to the barrel lay a pile of non-metallic sheath cables stolen from a construction site. The non-metallic sheath cable, also known as Romex, contained solid copper wiring and could be sold to a scrapyard for around $4 per pound. The men were thieves and would steal anything of value. The previous night, they snuck into a new home being built and cut the wiring from the walls and ceiling. To fetch a higher price for the copper at a metal recycler, the insulation needed to be removed so they were tossing the Romex into the burning barrel. Living in a run-down mobile home park, the two men showed no regard for their neighbors as the insulation created toxic smoke that engulfed the surrounding homes. Bill plopped down on the tailgate of his truck, then popped open a can of beer. 
At 45 years old, Bill had never done an honest day's work. Wearing a grimy yellow t-shirt with an image of a marijuana leaf, faded and tattered camo pants, and worn out tennis shoes, it appeared he just crawled out from under a rock. He also exhibited the stereotypical appearance of a drug addict. Slender frame, rough skin, unkempt and greasy black hair, rotted teeth, and a scraggly beard. A career thief, his primary income came from receiving welfare, food stamps, and Section 8 housing. Hence, the dilapidated 1971 mobile home he lived in. To supplement his income, mainly to buy drugs, he broke into vehicles and houses, stealing anything of value. He didn't like thieving copper, it took too much effort, and he didn't care for the physical work aspect of it. Stealing the wiring created a financial burden for the builder. Not only did the builder have to incur the cost of replacing the stolen Romex, which cost about $2,500, but the labor for an electrical contractor to reinstall the ruffian usually cost another $2,500. Bill and Gabriel would only get about a thousand bucks at the metal recycler, compared to the builder's total loss of around five grand. Thieves are never concerned about the actual damage and cost they bestow upon others. The two thieves not only stole electrical wiring from houses, but if the mechanical system was installed, they would also cut the copper refrigeration piping, creating an additional loss for the builder. Fortunately for the builder, most plumbers nowadays install PEX, a polyethylene pipe for the potable water supply system instead of a copper pipe. Otherwise, the builders would be enduring an even greater loss. Bill chugged his beer, then tossed the can on the ground next to the other empty containers in the random trash. <clears throat> How much you think we gonna be able to fetch for this pile of copper? Gabriel scratched his chin as he scrutinized the pile. Mm, that's probably about two or three hundred pounds, so uh, anywhere from eight hundred to uh, twelve hundred bucks. Gabriel, a 35-year-old Hispanic man, sported a stocky physique with a beer gut, bald head, large handlebar mustache, and gang-related tattoos covered his arms and neck. He donned a black t-shirt, blue jean pants, and black combat boots. During his teenage years, he lived in Houston, Texas, where he ran with the gang. Growing up fighting, stealing, vandalizing, and slinging dope, he possessed a violent temperament and exhibited little to no empathy for others. Unbeknownst to Bill, Gabriel harbored a dark secret. Three years ago, he robbed a bank in Houston, murdering the clerk in the process, so he moved to San Augustine to hide out at his cousin's apartment. A short time after that, Gabriel broke into a house and during the burglary, he found Emma Hawkins, a 25-year-old school teacher, asleep in her bed. He raped her numerous times over the night, then cut her throat. The authorities never linked a suspect to the crime. Bill opened another can of beer. We need to probably lay off stealing copper for a while until shit simmers down. Gabriel tossed a roll of wire into the barrel, engulfing the air with embers. Why? It's easy pickings. Dude, everyone's pissed about it, and I heard the cops are gonna start hiding out in some of the houses so they can bust whoever's stealing the copper. He pulled a flask from his rear pocket, then plopped down in a lawn chair. 
Well, where the hell are you hearing that shit from? That's the word on the street. You mean those crackheads you hang out with? They're not crackheads. And it's also been in the news. In fact, Channel 10 did a story about it yesterday. They even gave a description of my fucking truck. Bullshit. Look it up yourself. Gabriel pulled out his cell phone and searched for Channel 10 News. Sure enough, the story went into detail about copper being stolen from construction sites. A description of a vehicle was also given. An orange late 90s single cab Ford Ranger, a Confederate flag covering the top of the cab, and the number 01 painted on each door. The article stated the driver was a person of interest. So what? They can't prove shit. If I get pulled over, the cops are gonna ask why my truck was in that subdivision. Just say you're a framer and we're looking for work. But I don't know shit about framing. Then just tell the fuckers you clean up job sites. I've hauled scrap metal before, so that would be a good excuse. Gabriel grumbled as he eyed Bill's truck. I've always told you that damn truck stands out like a sore dick. You need to get something else so this shit doesn't happen again. Not having a pot to piss in, Bill revered his truck and considered it his prized possession. He patted the bed as he sat on the tailgate. This is my whip, boy. I ain't getting rid of it. Being over 25 years old, the truck not only showed its age, but Bill had painted it orange with cans of spray paint and hand-painted the Confederate flag and the number 01 with latex house paint using a paintbrush. It's a piece of shit. Maybe, but it's my piece of shit, and it's paid for. Bill lit a cigarette. Mmm. So now what the fuck we gonna do to make extra cash? Not sure, but I'll figure something out. Gabriel started to put up his phone, but an advertisement popped up. Normally, he ignored clickbait like everyone else, but this one caught his eye. He clicked on it, opening another news article. Hey man, check this shit out. He handed his phone to Bill. Bill noticed a photo of a graveyard and shiny flower vases stood at every tombstone. The article stated Cedar Creek Cemetery received a grant for 300 new flower vases to replace the old ones, and the work was completed last weekend. So what? They got new vases. They're fucking made of bronze. And I bet we can fetch 10 to 15 bucks a piece for them at the recycler. Cedar Creek Cemetery was located just a few miles down the road from the mobile home park in one of the oldest cemeteries in Texas, with graves dating back to the early 1800s. Born and raised in San Augustine, Bill grew up hearing countless horror stories and other strange tales about the Erie Cemetery and its caretaker, an old man named Ben Hamilton, and not once has he ever stepped foot on the sacred ground. Fuck that. I'm not messing around with that graveyard. Gabriel sometimes mixed Spanish with English. Don't tell me your ass is miedo a los fantasmas. You know I only know Spanish curse words. Are you scared of ghosts? Well, I don't believe in that shit. And that's not it. So just drop it. Gabriel lit a cigarette, then slouched in his chair. You need to man up and stop acting like a pinche perra. I'm not a fucking bitch.
that graveyard is evil, and the old man is some kind of demon or something, and he lures people there so he can punish them for their sins. What old man? Bill Hamilton. He's the grave digger. First off, demons, the devil, and other shit like that are just made up to keep people in line by the government. And what the fuck are you talking about he lures people there? What I understand is Ben can't leave the graveyard, so he finds a way to trick people into coming there. A troubled expression came over him as he sat forward in his chair. Like that news article about the bronze vases that popped up on your phone. He's trying to lure us there because he knows what we've been doing. That's a bunch of nonsense, and I'm surprised you believe in that silly shit. Haven't you ever heard the stories about the grave digger? No, man. I don't pay any attention to fairy tales. That's for kids. And we're gonna get those fucking vases, so stop being a puto. Dude, I'm not stepping foot in that graveyard. Gabriel's eyes narrowed in anger as he glared at Bill. Fuck if you're not. Even if I have to drag your ass there, you're going. Bill feared Gabriel more than Ben Hamilton and the folklore that surrounded the cemetery. And in the back of his head, he figured the stories were just old wives' tales anyway. If something happens to me, it's gonna be your fault. Gabriel snickered. <laughs> I can live with that. The Graveyard the following Friday, around midnight, the two thieves were parked on the side of the road in front of Cedar Creek Cemetery. The moon illuminated the night just enough for Bill to see the old wrought iron fence that ran along the front of the graveyard. Stone walls sat on each side of the main entrance, and on top of them sat a large wrought iron arch. Below the arch hung a sign that read Cedar Creek Cemetery. A feeling of anxiety came over Bill when he noticed the wrought iron gates were closed with a sign that read no access to cemetery between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. Trespassers will be prosecuted. This place is locked up tighter than a drum. Maybe we should turn around. That's why I brought the bolt cutters. I think this is a bad idea, man. Gabriel pulled a revolver from his waistband. Don't worry. If I see any monsters or goblins, I'll pop a cap in their ass. <laughs> I never said anything about monsters and goblins. I was just trying to tell you what I heard about the old grave digger. If I see that fucker, I'll pop a cap in his ass too. His stomach knotted up, knowing if Gabriel killed the old man, he had been accomplice to murder. You can't do that, dude. If we see him, we just need to run. I ain't running from no one. Gabriel pointed to a wooded area across the road. Go hide this bedazzled mirada behind those trees. Ah, uh, it's not a piece of shit. Bill despised Gabriel's demeaning and abusive personality, but being a follower, he always tucked his tail and took the mistreatment. After Bill parked his truck behind some brush, Gabriel handed him a small twenty-two caliber Derringer. Keep that in your pocket. He accidentally pointed the gun at Gabriel as he examined it. Why did you give me this? I don't need... Gabriel shoved Bill's hand to the side, pointing the barrel away from himself. Watch where you're pointing it, pendejo. It's loaded. Oh, sorry, man. There's no safety. 
and you have to keep it half-cocked in case it's dropped. If you need to fire it, just pull the hammer back the rest of the way, then pull the trigger. Uh, okay. And why do I need this? In case shit goes south. And what's the deal with the hammer and dropping it? The firing pin rests on the bullet, so if it's dropped and the hammer isn't half-cocked, the gun could go off. Uh, is it broken? No, it's designed that way. What a piece of shit. Just put the damn thing in your pocket and don't play around with it. And if you have to use it, make sure you aim for the throat. What the hell are you talking about, aim for the throat? If you have to use that on someone, try to shoot them in the throat since it's just a twenty-two. Who in the hell am I going to be shooting at in the cemetery? Just keep it in your pocket. If you need it, you got it. Gabriel checked his flashlight to make sure it worked. Are the batteries in your flashlight good? Bill flipped his light on and off. Yep. Gabriel grabbed four duffel bags from behind the seat, then tossed two of them to Bill. Let's get this shit done. When they approached the double gates, Gabriel noticed the chain and padlock were laying on the ground. You lying motherfucker. You said this shit was locked up tighter than a drum. It's fucking dark. It looked like it was locked from the truck. Gabriel tossed his boat cutters into one of the bags. You're such a mierda de pollo. I don't even know why I keep you around. I'm not fucking chicken shit, and I don't know why I keep putting up with your crap. Don't start whining. When they slipped through the gates, an eerie feeling came over Bill. On the outside of the walls, the moonlight illuminated the night, but the inside held a mysterious darkness. The temperature felt cooler, and the smell of death lingered in the air. This doesn't feel right. We need to get the fuck out of here. Stop being a pussy, and let's get this shit done. Bill was at his limit with Gabriel's mouthiness. Man, you don't have to be such a... Uh, such a what? Nothing. If you got something to say, say it. You don't have to be so rude. Don't get your panties in the wad. I'm trying to make a man out of you. That's the kind of shit I'm talking about. Let's just worry about getting this job done. You can mope and whine later after we get paid. As they moved further into the centuries-old graveyard, apprehension engulfed Bill as he observed old gravestones, crypts, and statues of all ages, sizes, rising from a thick cloud of fog that drifted close to the earth. Damn, dude. This place is spooky as fuck. Yeah, if you're fucking twelve. Gabriel searched the area with his flashlight. Do you see any of the vases? No, man. I don't see shit. A strange feeling swept over Bill as he thought about it. Oh, shit. Maybe that news article really was a trick to get us here. Don't start with that fairy tale shit again. They're in here somewhere. We just need to find them. As the men traveled deeper into the graveyard, large oak trees began to shroud most of the moonlight, creating an uncanny darkness that seemed to absorb the light from their flashlights. Suddenly, a sense of doom came over Bill, stopping him in his tracks. Frightened, he quickly searched the area around them. When his light struck an old column-topped tombstone, a chill ran down his spine. The grave felt oddly familiar, but this was his first time stepping foot in the cemetery. When he glimpsed the name on the tombstone, 
His heart seemed to stop. Gabriel shined his light at Bill as he stood dumbfounded. What are you doing? Stop fucking around and keep moving. When Bill didn't respond, he trudged over to him. What's wrong with you? Bill's hand shook with fear as he pointed to the tombstone. I told you this was a mistake coming here. Now we're both doomed. What the hell are you talking about? That's my grave. What? Gabriel shined his light on the old tombstone, observing the name William Clyde Vickers. He's got the same last name, so what? William Clyde Vickers is my full name. I'm sure there's a bunch of fuckers with that same name. He gazed at Gabriel with a look of apprehension. June 22nd, 1963. What? That's my birth date. And it's the same date on the tombstone. Bullshit. You're just saying that the fuck with me. I'm serious, dude. I'll show you my license and look at the date of death. Gabriel scrutinized the tombstone for a moment, observing today's date was inscribed as the date of death. Hmm. Well, I guess you're fucked then. <laughs> it's not funny. We need to get the hell out of here before it's too late. Dude, chill the fuck out. It's just a coincidence. He illuminated the tombstone, noting its age. The tombstone is like a hundred years old. Some jackass must have made a mistake and wrote 1963 instead of 1863. No, man. There's some evil shit going on, and I'm getting the fuck out of here. We ain't leaving without those vases, and I'm not telling you again. He motioned with his flashlight. Get your ass moving. Bill wanted to flee the cemetery but his fear of Gabriel kept him trekking forward. About 300 feet further into the graveyard, they came upon an area with hundreds of shiny bronze flower vases that rose from the fog. Gabriel gazed with wide eyes as he grinned wickedly. Damn, muchacho, we hit the premio maximo. Bill forgot about his fears as he ogled the loot while visualizing all the crack rocks, weed, and booze he could buy. Hell yeah, boy! Billy Jack gonna get paid! When excited, Bill sometimes referred to himself as Billy Jack. Stop John and let's get these fuckers hauled out of here. It's gonna take several trips to get them all. Like greedy kids at an Easter egg hunt, Gabriel and Bill began shoving the vases into their bags as fast as they could. When they each filled two duffel bags, they began lugging them through the cemetery. Bill struggled with the weight of his bags as he plodded behind Gabriel. Dude, we should have brought a dolly or something. These are heavy as fuck. Just keep going, man. We're almost there. When they came to the entrance, Gabriel found the gate secured with a chain and padlock. Did you lock this when we came through the first time? Short-winded, Bill dropped his bags as he panted. No, man. A gut-wrenching feeling swept over him as he thought about it. Oh, shit. That means the old man is around here somewhere. Fuck him. Gabriel pulled the bolt cutters from his bag, then cut the chain in two. 
What if he calls the cops? I doubt he even knows we're here, but if the cops do show up, we'll just sneak out the backside of the cemetery. <laughs> what about my truck? It's fucking hidden, so they won't find it. We'll just come back later and get it. When the men entered the wooded area across the street from the cemetery, Bill noticed his truck was missing. <laughs> Son of a bitch! Someone stole my fucking truck! Gabriel scanned the area with his flashlight. Are you sure we're in the right spot? Bill illuminated the ground. Fuck yeah! I can see my tire tracks in the grass. A wave of frustration came over him. I can't believe some sorry motherfucker stole my ride. Don't tell me you left the fucking keys in it. I'm not fucking stupid. They're in my pocket. And what the fuck am I going to do now? I don't have insurance. They did you a favor. It was a piece of shit anyway. Dude, I don't have the money to buy another one. And how in the fuck are we going to get home? I'll call my cousin after we're done getting the rest of the vases. Rest of the vases? We need to go look for my fucking truck. I'm not worried about that shit right now. What about the old man? I'm not worried about him either. Gabriel dumped the vases from his bags, placing them next to a tree. Dump out your bags so we can make another run. As Bill emptied his bags, anger consumed him, knowing the amount he'd make from selling his share of the bronze wouldn't even be enough to buy another truck. The shit ain't right, man. I'm getting fucked. I knew this was a bad idea from the start. Stop whining. Feeling used, Bill sucked as he followed Gabriel back to the cemetery. Impending doom. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. An agglomeration of emotions consumed Bill as he trudged behind Gabriel through the knee-high fog. His anxiety and fear of the graveyard were now replaced with disappointment, resentment, and anger over his truck. As he moped along, he played with the derringer in his pocket. Gabriel could hear Bill grumbling to himself as his feet trampled leaves and twigs laying on the ground. 
Stop making so much damn racket. Bill groaned as he brooded in self-pity. I'm not doing it on purpose. Gabriel also detected a clicking sound coming from Bill. He paused and when he shined his light on him, he noticed his hand was in his pocket. I know you're not fucking with that gun. I'm not. Suddenly, a loud pop echoed out. Then a cloud of smoke emerged from the side of his pants. In a panic, Bill jerked his hand from his pocket and quickly examined it with his flashlight. Then he moved the light to his crotch and left leg. Oh, shit. I might have shot myself. Relief came over him when he didn't locate any blood or a bullet hole. Damn, dude. Your fucking gun went off in my pocket for no reason. When Gabriel didn't respond, he moved his light to where he originally stood. <sighs> to his horror, he found him lying on the ground. He rushed over to him and knelt. Are you all right, dude? Uh, I'm not sure, man. He rubbed his head. Uh, it feels like I was hit with a club or something. Nausea came over Bill when he spotted blood running out of a small hole in Gabriel's forehead. Worried Gabriel would become upset, he didn't want to tell him he shot him in the head. No, man, you were just walking along, then you fell. Maybe you hit your head on the ground. Gabriel rubbed his forehead, then scrutinized the blood on his fingers. Damn, I guess I tripped. He started to rise, but paused as his memory came back to him. Hold up. I remember now. You fucking shot me. Bill quickly stepped back. It was an accident, man. I swear. Accident my ass. I told you not to play around with the gun. I know, man. I know. Please don't be mad. Gabriel rubbed his forehead as he thought about being shot in the head. Most people would be panicking and dialing 911 or rushing to a hospital, but he exhibited little fear in life and even less empathy. <laughs> Damn, I've been shot before, but never in the fucking head. I I'm really sorry, dude. I didn't do it on purpose. Yeah, you are sorry. He stood to his feet. <laughs> And you owe me big time for this shit. Anything you want, man. Just name it. I'm taking your share of the bronze for starters. Bill knew not to debate the issue, especially since he just shot his partner in the head. That's fair. Gabriel held out his hand. Give me the fucking juguete. Give you what? The fucking gun. Bill handed it to him. Uh, how can you take a shot to the head like that and still be standing? I'm too fucking mean to die. I'm being serious. It's a fucking 22. He felt his forehead. It's just a flesh wound, and I doubt it even went through my skull. That's why I told you to shoot for the throat. Oh. Gabriel nodded. We fucked around enough. Let's get moving. When they arrived at the location with the vases, confusion came over Gabriel as he examined the area with his flashlight. Are we in the right spot? Something doesn't seem right. I thought we already started on this area. 
Bill shined his light across several tombstones, noticing bronze vases stood at each of the graves. Well, that's weird as fuck. I've already taken ones from these graves. Are you sure? Yeah. I recognize the names on some of these tombstones. In a panic, he began searching the area with his flashlight. That means someone replaced them. A feeling of horror swept over him. Oh, shit. The gravedigger must have done it. An angered expression came over Gabriel. That means he's fucking with us. I'm out of here, dude. Overcome with terror, Bill started to walk off, but a strange feeling came over him. He clutched his chest as he knelt on one knee. <laughs> Something's wrong. I'm feeling dizzy and my chest is hurting. You're probably just having one of your damn panic attacks. Bill didn't respond as he fell onto his face. <laughs> Gabriel grabbed Bill by the hair and jerked his head back, then observed his eyes were rolled back into their sockets. When he noticed he wasn't breathing, he let his head plop back to the ground, then stood up as he grumbled. Damn! Motherfucker fell over dead! He looked around, then grabbed Bill by one of his legs and began dragging him toward a group of bushes to conceal his body. Suddenly, Bill awoke and let out a loud gasp, <sighs> then sat up with wide eyes. What the fuck? Why am I on the ground? Gabriel released his leg and chuckled. <laughs> I thought your ass had died. What do you mean? You grabbed your chest and then fell to the ground. I gave you CPR, but you didn't respond. Bill wiped his mouth. Seriously? You had to give me mouth to mouth? Yeah, man. You do the same for me. Bill stood up and began brushing himself off. <sighs> Where in the hell were you dragging me to? To the entrance so I could have an ambulance pick you up. That was weird as fuck. I hope I didn't have a heart attack or something. I'm sure you're fine. Just try not to get yourself so worked up so much. Gabriel retrieved the two duffel bags Bill dropped and tossed them to him. Let's get these vases packed up so we can get the fuck out of here. Are you serious? You still want to take them after the shit that's happened to us? I came here to get paid and I'm not leaving without them. Dude. You got shot in the head, and I think I had a heart attack. That's a bad sign. We need to heed the warning and get out of here before we're not so lucky. Just fill up your damn bags. We'll be done in no time. As Gabriel began bagging up the vases, Bill caressed his chest. Uh, dude, I can't feel my heartbeat. I think there's something wrong with my heart. Stop fucking around and get your bags loaded. We can take your ass to the ER when we're done. As Bill headed over to a tombstone to retrieve a vase, the ground slightly gave way, making a crumpling sound. Thinking he stepped on a grave, collapsing a rotted casket, he moved his light to his feet. His eyes opened wide with disbelief. What the fuck? He began raking at the ground with his foot. Gabriel stomped over to him. Now what the fuck are you doing? It's my fucking truck. 
Someone buried it. At the bottom of the fog and slightly buried under the dirt, Gabriel noticed there was a Confederate flag painted on a piece of sheet metal. Then he examined the earth around it. The ground hasn't been disturbed, so it can't be your truck. Yes, it is. I recognize my paint job. You just had a mental episode, and now your mind is just playing tricks on you. No, it's not. Bill fell to his knees and began hand-digging around the edges until he exposed some glass. <laughs> Here's the fucking windshield. Bewildered, Gabriel stood dumbfounded as he eyed the top of the truck. How was that possible? I told you this place is evil, dude. We should have never come here. He glanced up from the ground. Are you going to help me get it out? Now sensing a supernatural presence loomed over him, Gabriel shook his head as he exhibited a troubled expression. No, nah, man. I'm getting the fuck out of here. I, I need your help, man. There's no way we can dig that shit out with just our hands. I'm not leaving my truck behind. When Bill uncovered the top of his driver's side window, spiders came crawling out of his truck. Gabriel took several steps backwards. Oh, hell no. I can't stand fucking spiders. Seriously, dude? You're scared of spiders? I ain't scared of nothing. Then help me get my truck out. Your ass can stay here all night fucking with it, but I'm leaving. Bill rose to his feet. I'm not staying here by myself. I guess I'll have to come back here in the morning with a shovel. Inundated with apprehension, the two men remained quiet as they quickly trekked through the graveyard. When they made it to the entrance, Gabriel found the gates were secured with a large diameter chain. Someone locked the gate again. Hurry up and cut that shit. I want to get the fuck out of here. Gabriel tried to cut the chain with the bolt cutters, but the diameter of the links were too large to fit inside its jaws. Damn it! This is a larger chain and I can't cut it! As he searched for the padlock, uncertainty came over him. What the fuck? What's wrong? There's no lock on the chain. Is it tied together with wire or something? No! It's fucking continuous! What do you mean? The chain doesn't have any breaks in it. Bill shined his light on the chain. Is it welded together? I don't see any welds. Well, how is that possible? I don't know, man. Something strange is going on. Now do you believe me that this place is evil? I don't know what to think. Bill scanned the top of the gates with his flashlight then examined the top of the wrought iron fence and stone walls. The fence is too tall to climb. How in the fuck are we going to get out of here? There should be another gate somewhere, or a place where the fence is lower. As they walked along the inside perimeter, searching for a way to escape, Bill spotted a faint light coming from the middle of the graveyard. Uh, hold up, man. Uh, I see someone. Turn off your light. Gabriel quickly shut off his flashlight, then squatted down as he observed two lights in the distance. It looks like there's two people. He noticed the lights seemed to be getting closer. Shit, they're heading our direction. He pulled his revolver from his waistband. Hide so they don't see us. As the men hunkered down in the fog behind the large tombstone, Bill detected the sound of an engine. Uh, I think it's a vehicle. 
Gabriel peeked around the corner of the tombstone. It sure in the fuck is. Do you think it's the cops? The old man might have called them. I don't think so. They would be using a spotlight to look for us, and it's too small to be a cop car. As the vehicle crept along a gravel road a short distance away, Bill began to hear the old song, I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive by Hank Williams. Do you hear that creepy shit they're playing? Yeah, must be some fucking rednecks. You think there's more than one person? How in the fuck would I know? But once they start heading away from us, we're gonna all ask the other way. Normally, Bill's heart would be pounding from his adrenaline rush, but he couldn't even detect a heartbeat. Something's wrong, man. I still can't feel my heart. Will you put your ear on my chest and see if you can hear my heartbeat? I'm not doing that shit, you might have gone. I'm not a faggot. I'm just worried there's something wrong with me. Dude, you're fine. Just try to stay calm. As the vehicle passed by them just a few yards away, Bill noticed a white-colored Zero-One painted on an orange door. Dude, it's my fucking truck. Enraged, he forgot about his heart as he rose to his feet and shouted, Hey, that's my... Gabriel jerked him back to the ground. Shut the fuck up, pendejo, and stay down. <laughs> but they're taking my ride. A feeling of an impending doom lingered over Gabriel. Let him have it. I just want to get the fuck out of here. I can't believe they buried my truck then dug it back up. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not sure what the fuck is going on, but there's definitely some strange shit happening tonight. As the taillights disappeared into the darkness, Gabriel scrambled to his feet. Let's roll. As they trotted in the opposite direction, a sense of dread swept over Bill. My heart should be beating fast since I'm running, but I can't even feel it. Gabriel didn't detect his heartbeat either, creating an uncanny feeling. We can't worry about that right now. Let's just find a way out of here. Then I'll have my cousin take us to the hospital. Uh, are you feeling strange too? Being a stubborn person, he didn't want to admit that something was wrong or that he was frightened. I'm good, dude. Just taking you there so you can get checked out. A short distance later, Gabriel slowed to a walk. Do you hear that? Yeah, it's faint, but it sounds like someone screaming. Where's it coming from? I'm not sure. A couple of steps further, Bill stopped in his tracks. Hold up. I think it's coming from underground. Gabriel could feel the sound resonating on the bottom of his feet. What the hell? There must be an underground structure. That's creepy as fuck. But why would they be screaming? I don't know, man. He dropped to his knees, and when he stuck an ear to the ground, he could hear the screams of numerous people. Oh, shit. It's a bunch of people screaming. Then, to his horror, he heard his name being called out. He scrambled to his feet. <laughs> I'm getting the fuck out of here. Bill noticed Gabriel's horrified facial expression. What's wrong, dude? What did you hear? They're calling my name. What? Whoever the fuck is down there is yelling out my name. That's impossible. Suddenly, the ground collapsed under Gabriel and his lower body fell into a hole. 
As he desperately tried to pull himself out, he wailed. Oh, shit! Sacame la mierda de aquí! As Bill wrenched on his arms, he observed smoke rising from the hole, and he could hear the roaring sound of thousands of tormented people screaming as if they were burning in hell. <laughs> what the fuck? Do you hear that shit? A look of horror was etched across his face. Es una puerta de entrada al infierno. Get me the fuck out of this agujero. Bill wasn't fluent in Spanish, but he understood the words gateway and hell. I, I told your ass we shouldn't have come here. I know, man. You were right. A grimace of terror came over Gabriel. <laughs> oh my God. Something's grabbing my legs. Please get me out. To Bill's horror, as he pulled on Gabriel's arms, something kept jerking him back into the hole. I'm trying, but something keeps pulling you back in. Uh, no, man, please. Suddenly, Gabriel's arms jerked loose from Bill's grip, and he could hear him screaming as he plunged into the darkness. As he stood petrified, gazing down into the hole, he watched Gabriel's flashlight tumble through the darkness, getting fainter as it descended deeper into a dark abyss. A smoky abyss filled with the sounds of people screaming in agony. When he turned to run, something struck him in the head. As his vision faded to darkness, the last thing he saw was an old man standing over him with a shovel. Retribution Gabriel awoke with a splitting headache. When he sat up, he noticed an oil-burning lantern hanging in a nearby tree. The faint light illuminated several tombstones and a large pile of dirt next to a hole in the ground. Then he observed barbed wire secured his wrist behind his back. A few feet away sat Bill with a horrified expression. What the fuck is going on, man? Why are we tied up? Bill remained silent as he nodded. When Gabriel looked, he observed an old man sitting on a tombstone smoking a cigarette. The man appeared to be in his early 80s. He wore denim blue jeans, a beige long-sleeved shirt, and an old black cowboy hat. Long gray hair cascaded down to his shoulders. The skin on his face appeared leathery and wrinkled and his dark, pensive eyes sat back in their sockets. Uncertainty swept over Gabriel. Who are you? I'm the Grave Digger. Why am I tied up? Because the hour of retribution is upon you. I don't know what the fuck that means, cabron, but you better let me go before you get hurt. The old man sauntered over to him with a scythe. The tool incorporated a long S-shaped handle made of wood, two offset handles, and a long curved steel blade. Your days of terrorizing folks are over. Gabriel scrutinized the tool. Go easy, vato. You can have the vases, they're just outside the gate next to a tree. I couldn't care less about the vases. 
They were just a way to get you and your buddy here. A grimace of terror came over Bill. Are you Ben Hamilton? You already know the answer to that. Bill peered at Gabriel. I told you we were being lured here. Now you have condemned us to hell. This dude is just some old senile fucker who likes to play juegos. You keep telling yourself that, asshole. Bill redirected his attention to Ben. What are you going to do to us, sir? He nodded toward Gabriel. His soul will suffer an eternity for being a rapist and murderer. As for you, you pay for your transgressions in a more suitable manner. What does that mean? Are you going to call the cops or something? No. We have a different type of justice around here. He scrutinized the size. Are you going to kill us? I can't kill what is already dead. A confused expression came over him. But we're not dead. Sure you are. You died of a heart attack about an hour ago. And you shot your partner in the brain pan. That can't be possible. I'm sitting here talking to you. Mm, Dead folks around here talk all the time. Am I a ghost or something? More like a something, as you put it. What does that mean? I have this unique ability where I can keep the soul trapped in the body after death. Gabriel chuckled sarcastically. (laughs) Estas jodido loco, hombre. I'll show you something fucking crazy. Ben stuck the blade of the scythe behind Gabriel's neck and pulled. Get your ass up, dipshit. Gabriel could feel the blade cutting into the back of his neck. Uh, Hold up, hilipoyas. I can't move. My arms are tied up. Yeah, but your legs ain't fucking broke. When he detected the blade scraping on his spine, he quickly scrambled to his feet. Go easy, dude. You're gonna cut off my fucking head. Ben forced him to the edge of the hole, then removed the blade from his neck. Stand there and shut the fuck up, Pendejo. He retrieved the lantern hanging from the tree and held it over the hole, illuminating a dark-stained coffin sitting at the bottom. Why are you showing me this, man? Ben moved the light to a tombstone next to the hole. Does this ring a bell? Gabriel recognized the name engraved on the headstone. Emma Sue Hawkins, the 25-year-old schoolteacher he raped and murdered. (laughs) No, man. I don't know this bitch. Ben eyed Bill as he sat terrified. Did you know your buddy here raped and murdered this young woman three years ago? 
then left her body in the woods to rot like a piece of garbage. I didn't know anything about that, sir. Please don't punish me because of what he did. You're not. But you are going to be punished for being a thief and a burden to society. When Ben moved his hand across the grave, Gabriel noticed the coffin began to shudder as smoke escaped from around the edges of the lid. Is this some kind of prank? A moment later, the lid swung open, revealing Emma's decayed corpse lined in the coffin. Gabriel noticed she wore a black dress with long sleeves. Her gaunt face exhibited patches of rotted skin, and he could see her long fingernails as her hands crisscrossed on her chest. When he observed the stitched gash running across her neck where he had slit her throat, his face contorted into a mask of horror. <laughs> why, why in the fuck are you showing me this? It's your eternal damnation. Suddenly, Emma's eyes popped open wide. Gabriel stumbled backwards as a wave of terror washed over him. <laughs> what the fuck? She sat up, then slowly raised her head until she made eye contact with him. A petrifying sensation of dread completely overtook Gabriel's mind. <laughs> what the hell, man? He gazed at Ben with a look of consternation. <sighs> are, you, are you some kind of bruh? Emma leapt from the casket and tackled Gabriel. As he lay on his back, she sat on his chest and began wildly punching him in the face with alternating fists. With his hands tied behind his back, he couldn't defend himself or fight back. To his horror, she ripped open the front of his shirt and began dragging her sharp nails from the top of his chest down to his lower abdomen, cutting eight deep gashes into his flesh. As he wailed in agony, she jerked off his pants and boxers, then sat on his thighs facing him with her knees on each side of his hips. When Gabriel caught his composure, he raised his head and noticed her bare waist. Get the fuck off of me! She remained silent as she peered back at him with hollow eyes. What the fuck are you doing, you crazy bitch? When she didn't respond, he glared at Ben as he sat on a tombstone smoking a cigarette. What the hell did you do, man? Is she some kind of demon or something? Since you violated Ms. Hawkins and robbed her of her life, I've returned her to her body so she can avenge herself. No way, man. This can't be happening. This must be some kind of trick. Emma moved her hands close to Gabriel's crotch. Then Brazilian wandering spiders came crawling out of her shirt sleeves. Large and hairy, these spiders are aggressive and produce a potent neurotoxin. Their bite is extremely painful, and because their venom boosts nitric oxide, a chemical that increases blood pressure, the effects can cause a long and painful erection in men. Possessing arachnophobia, a wave of terror came over Gabriel as the spiders covered his genitals. Oh my god! Please get them off me! 
to his horror, the spider sank their fangs into his penis, balls, and surrounding tissue and began injecting him with their venom. Gabriel wailed at the top of his lungs as an unbearable pain radiated from his lower torso. Gabriel moaned in agony as the spiders crawled back into Emma's shirt and as his penis began to swell from his body's reaction to the neurotoxin, she rose to her feet, then stood over his head. A wave of disgust came over him as he stared up at her maggot-covered crotch. Then to his revulsion, she plopped down on his face and began grinding her maggot-infested pussy against his mouth. He thrashed around and screamed as she smashed the larva into a slimy residue all over his face. When his penis became fully erect, she slid down to his waist and shoved his dick inside her. Even though he produced an erection, it wasn't from lust, but from neurotoxin, and as she rode him, an excruciating pain throbbed from his genitals. Suffering more agony than he had ever experienced before, she leaned forward, and as she French-kissed him, maggots, worms, decayed leaves, dirt, and putrefied liquids filled his mouth. As she rode and kissed him, rotted skin and leaking body fluids covered his body. Gabriel finally broke loose from her mouth and wailed. <laughs> Please stop! I'm sorry for what I did to you! Please have mercy! <laughs> She sat up and growled in an eerie voice. And now you will be violated for an eternity. To his horror, she grabbed his erect penis, dragged him over to her grave by his manhood, then threw him into the hole. As he lay on his back in her coffin, she leapt on top of him. Then the lid slammed closed. Horror-stricken by the bizarre event, Bill could hear Gabriel screaming as Ben casually shoveled dirt back into the hole while a cigarette hung from his lips. Oh my god. Please, don't do that to me. I'm begging you. You have a different punishment. Since you're a thief and a burden to society, you'll serve your penance as a caretaker over this graveyard for an eternity. The next morning, Ben used an old tractor with a front end loader and placed a large bronze statue of a guardian angel in the center of the property. Having molten bronze poured onto his body, disintegrating his outer flesh, Bill couldn't fathom how he was still alive as he gazed through the eyes of the statue, suffering in complete agony. The thought of suffering for an eternity in a bronze tomb horrified him.
And that was Damnation by author Wade H. Garrett. A good reminder that if you ain't for scraps in life, that's the best you're gonna get. Also, a good reminder to head on over to Amazon or Audible.com and pick up The Gravedigger, the novel this story is spun off from, also narrated by yours truly. That's nine and a half hours of unbridled horror, well worth the price of admission. And remember, when you buy a copy, you're helping out old Drew Blood tremendously. Have you bought it yet? Well, damn. Well, here's a little taste for all you tentative folks. Again, from Wade H. Garrett's brand new audiobook, The Grave Digger, I give you Chapter 16, The Mausoleum Party. Assuming Bobby and Skeeter were lying about the party at the cemetery, Slater drove to the park first. When he didn't locate Bobby, he headed to Skeeter's house, finding no one there as well. Next, he checked out several of Bobby and Skeeter's hangouts with the same result. From there, he decided to head to the cemetery. When he arrived, he found the gates wide open, so he drove into the property. After navigating some of the winding gravel roads, he finally saw a dimly lit light. In fact, it was the only light visible. The cemetery held an uncanny darkness, even to the point it seemed to absorb most of the light from his headlights. As he approached the source of the light, he found it coming from an old rock building, but there was only one vehicle parked outside, a 1985 Ford Ranger. Thinking Bobby lied, he texted, I'm here, but there is no party, you fucking liar. Bobby responded, Yes, there is. We're in the old Hamilton mausoleum. Doesn't look like a party to me. There's only one truck here. That's Skeeter's. Everyone else is coming later. Relieved that Bobby and Skeeter were the only two at the party, eliminating witnesses, he checked the revolver to ensure it was loaded, then headed on foot toward the building. Once inside, he found the source of the light, an old oil-burning lantern sitting on a concrete crypt. Finding the structure empty, he started to leave until the faint sound of an organ caught his attention. The music led him to another crypt that was slid over, revealing a staircase that entered a lower level. Fueled by the thirst for retaliation, he grabbed a lantern and headed down the stairs with his revolver in hand. The walls and steps of the stairwell started out as cement, then about ten feet down they changed to solid white rock that was hand-carved out of the natural earth, indicating the ground below the cemetery had a thick layer of black dirt before changing to a solid layer of limestone. As he descended deeper into the earth, the temperature became cooler with each step, and a stale odor filled the air. At the bottom, he found a large chamber with a high ceiling carved out of the same natural limestone with a network of passages that appeared to be part of a cave system. Numerous oil-burning, wall-mounted lanterns illuminated the inside, revealing the age of the chamber to be very old. A greenish and brown patina stained the limestone walls, floor, and ceiling, and spiderwebs clung to every surface. Ten large crypts sat on the floor in a row and numerous recessed tombs with wooden coffins lined the rear wall. On the wall to his left, there were several smaller rooms. The front of the rooms incorporated steel bars with a door, resembling prison cells. On the wall to his right, 
Someone wearing a plague doctor's mask sat at an antique pipe organ, filling the chamber with creepy macabre music, and the smell of death, an ancient death, engulfed the air. Bewilderment washed over Slater as he gazed into what appeared to be a catacomb from another time period, something he never expected to find. When his eyes traveled to the far side of the chamber, he saw Bobby and Skeeter crouching in the shadows. Still raging over his mother's desecration, he shouted over the creepy music as he marched into the chamber. I see you fuckers hiding in the dark! When he approached them with the lantern, a conglomeration of emotions swept over him, ranging from confusion to apprehension. Instead of Bobby and Skeeter crouching down, the lantern illuminated two midgets wearing matching old-fashioned clothing indicative to the 1800s. Black double-breasted tailcoat, white shirt, brown notched collar vest, black trousers, stovepipe boots, and a wool John Bull hat. Their clothing, filthy and stained with dirt, exhibited severe deterioration, frayed edges and covered in holes. The men's faces were drawn and gaunt revealing their bone structure, and darkened skin encompassed their sunken hollow eyes, giving them the appearance of the undead. Stunned by their appearance, Slater didn't know how to respond at first as he hid his revolver behind his back. Then the notion of a costume party crossed his mind. Still taken back by the realism of their costumes and makeup, he politely asked, uh, I'm looking for Bobby and Skeeter. Uh, have you seen them? Standing motionless, they gazed back with empty expressions for a moment. Then one man slowly raised his arm and pointed. Slater looked in the direction he indicated. Where are they at? I don't see them. The other man pointed in the same direction. About twenty feet away, two wooden coffins were leaning upright against a wall. All I see are... Two caskets. The men lowered their arms. Slater molded over for a moment, then concluded Bobby and Slater must be hiding from him in the coffins. So, they're fucking hiding from me. Thanks for the intel, boys. He strolled over to the caskets, also known as toe pinchers or vampire coffins, since they incorporated six sides and were more narrow at the head and toes than at the shoulders. He knocked on the first one with the end of his revolver. I know you're in there, fucker, so come on out. No one responded. Oh, all right, you fucking prick. Then I'll drag your ass out of there myself. He tried to open the lid of the first coffin, but it didn't budge. Then he noticed a viewing window installed on the upper portion of the lid. When he shined the light from the lantern into the coffin... Something lunged at the window, striking the glass while making a loud thump. Startled, Slater stumbled backwards. What the fuck? he exclaimed. Once he caught his composure, he eased back to the window and glimpsed into it. Horror overcame him when he saw Skeeter's face. His eyes were huge as saucers, conveying his fear. His mouth sewn closed with thick black thread and an upside-down cross was burned into his forehead. With terror etched across his face, Skeeter groaned out unintelligible words through his stitched lips as he desperately tried to communicate. 
Taken aback, Slater stepped away as he tried to process what he observed. Being a costume party, he would expect spooky makeup, even to the degree of realism Skeeters possessed, but his horrified expression seemed genuine. About that time, a voice emanated from the other coffin. Slater, is that you? Slater eased over to the coffin and peeked through the viewing window, finding Bobby. Well, I knew you were hiding from me, you fucker. Anger swept over him, and as he fought at the lid trying to open it, he grumbled. Unlock the door, asshole. You're gonna pay for what you did to my mom. Bobby shoved his face close to the window and shouted. I didn't do that to her. I, I so queer. Please get me out of here. Slater paused as he eyed Bobby. You fucking liar. You knew where she was buried. Please get me the fuck out of this box. Well, I'm not doing shit until you admit to what you did. They made me lie to get you here. And they're the ones that did that to your mom. Who are you talking about? Those fucking midgets. They're not human. What the fuck are you talking about? About that time, the cross in Bobby's forehead turned bright red like molten metal. And as he wailed in agony, he ferociously thrust his body around inside the coffin. A moment later, Skeeter began violently flopping around inside his coffin. Consumed with terror, Slater stepped back as he realized something was dreadfully wrong. Focusing only on his quest for vengeance, he never considered Bobby and Skeeter were luring him into a trap. Now recognizing he made a grave mistake and the desecration of his mother's body was to simply bait him to the cemetery, he ran for the exit. To his horror, he found the two midgets blocking the bottom of the staircase, so he sprinted to one of the cave passageways. A short way down, he came upon numerous caskets stacked off to the side of the corridor. The caskets were of every type imaginable, from wood to steel, extremely old to almost new, ornamental to plain, from toe pinchers to modern style. Some were extremely decayed, rusted, and corroded, while others were shiny and pristine. Most of the lids were open, revealing its cadaver. The bodies were in all different stages of decomposition, from looking just a few days old to a rotted pile of flesh, and in some cases only a skeletal frame remained. Each of the corpses had an upside-down cross burned into its forehead identical to the ones Bobby and Skeeter possessed, and their eyes were missing, leaving deep, shadowy cavities. As Slater ran past a group of caskets, he came upon a large number of nude corpses and body parts stacked along the floor against the walls. Their skin looked preserved, like wax figures. As he moved along, he observed complete bodies, torsos without limbs or heads, severed arms and legs, and decapitated heads grouped in individual piles. Some of the corpses showed signs of mutilation and torture, while others had grotesque body modifications, including its eyes and mouths stitched closed. Several corpses were hanging upside down on large wooden crosses that leaned against a wall and numerous steel cages and medieval-style torture contraptions lined the floor with its entrapped victims. There were corpses that incorporated different skin-colored extremities harvested from multiple races, and they were attached with thick black thread or rusted wire. 
There were even corpses sewn to one another, and at their stitches the skin ravaged and torn, indicating they were alive when joined together. Same as the cadavers in the caskets, each of the corpses incorporated an upside-down cross on its forehead, and their eyes were missing. Further into the passageway, Slater began to see corpses fully dressed and propped into standing, sitting, squatting, fighting, and other anatomically correct positions. And each one possessed a cross on their forehead and empty eye sockets. Some of the corpses were dressed in western clothes indicative of the 1800s, and a handful of them even wore cowboy hats, boots, and ammunition belts equipped with a holster and a revolver. There were Native Americans dressed in traditional clothing ranging from a breechcloth to complete buckskin clothing, deerskin leggings, to full ceremonial attire including a war bonnet. The Indians were from different time periods and tribes, and some held various items from bows, spears, tomahawks, and rifles, and some donned tattoos, war paint, and headdresses. Next, Slater saw a large group of corpses wearing old prison uniforms with the name of the prison and inmate numbers still printed on the fabric. Once he passed the prisoners, he came upon hundreds of corpses in all sorts of apparel from all time periods, and they too possessed upside-down crosses and empty eye sockets. It was like a wax museum of horror. As he traveled further, he came upon complete skeletons, then piles of bones and skulls sorted in individual piles. Next, he saw two-wheeled carts lined up along the wall, similar to the hay carriages from the 1800s. Their entire construction, including the wheels, were made of wood. Mutilated bodies and body parts were piled on the carts, perhaps waiting to be sorted. As Slater passed each morbid group, random thoughts raced through his mind, such as, Oh my God, it's only getting worse. What the fuck have I stumbled into? Oh, fuck, this is bad. What kind of psycho did this? Am I in hell? Finally, Slater came to the end of the passageway, finding a large room filled with everyday furniture and fully dressed corpses that appeared to be preserved. But this group didn't possess the upside-down crosses. Their eyes were intact, nor did the environment emit an unpleasant atmosphere like in the passageway. Soft, soothing music resonated out as the warm glow of the wall-mounted lanterns gave the room a nice ambience. The dead bodies were positioned in normal activities, such as sitting on a couch watching TV, at a computer desk typing on a keyboard, doing pottery, crocheting, knitting, smoking cigars, playing board games, sitting around the kitchen table partaking in a feast, sleeping in bed, playing video games, dancing, playing tennis, golf, and other sports, and several corpses donned football gear and were positioned in a formation. There were even corpses dressed as rock stars holding guitars and other instruments. Everyone seemed happy and participating in what they enjoyed in life the most. In the center of the room, movement caught Slater's eye. Ben and another man, donning a U.S. Marine's dress blue uniform, were sitting at a card table playing chess. Slater froze in his tracks as he exclaimed, Oh, shit! Ben glanced over. I'm glad to see you made it. 
Stunned and not sure if he should bolt, he stood steadfast as he eyed Ben cautiously. Sorry, I didn't mean to disturb you and your friend. Ben moved a chess piece. You're not. Slater eyed the other man and started to speak until he noticed he was a corpse. A gut-wrenching feeling swept over him, realizing Ben was responsible for all the atrocities that surrounded him. In fact, I've been waiting for you. Horrified, Slater could barely speak. Who are you? I'm the grave digger. All the horror stories he heard about Ben flashed through his mind. Are you real? No, you're talking to a ghost, dumbass. Ignoring Ben's sarcastic reply and pondering on the horrific sight he passed in the passageway, he muttered, Are you going to kill me? What do you think I should do with you? Slater wanted to run, but his legs were frozen with fear. What do you mean? Don't play dumb with me, boy. You know why you're here. I have no idea what you're talking about. Suddenly, the sound of feet shuffling behind him prompted Slater to look over his shoulder. Is someone else here? There's a lot of folks hanging around, but they're not of your concern. Out of the corner of his eye, Slater thought he saw the Marine move a chess piece. He quickly jerked his head back toward the card table and examined the corpse, noting his skeletal frame, rotted flesh, and glazed over eyes. Did that army dude just move his arm? Mr. Arnold is a decorated Marine. Show some respect. Oh, I didn't mean to be disrespectful. Um, my mind is just playing tricks on me. <laughs> Sorry. What are you talking about? I thought I saw him move his arm. You saw correctly. There's no way. He's dead. How is he gonna play chess if he don't move his own pieces? Slater stood dumbfounded for a moment. You're just screwing with me. If you say so. Slater still didn't comprehend the magnitude of his situation even after witnessing all the bizarre and horrifying things, such as his mother's corpse moving on its own while speaking to him. Bobby's cross had appeared on his forehead right in front of him, the two midgets in the main chamber, the ghastly exhibit in the passageway, and now the room filled with preserved bodies. His mind couldn't fathom this was the work of something supernatural. For him, there must be a simple explanation for it all. He even contemplated Bobby and Skeeter were playing a prank on him. Are you some kind of magician? Someone gave me a magic starter kit years ago, but never really got into it. Well, this is a pretty elaborate show you're putting on, so I wouldn't say you never got into it. 
And what's the deal with all the fake corpses out in the hallway? Are you turning this into a haunted house or something? Ben moved his queen. I think of it more as a sanctuary. What is that? Well, all these folks in here wanted my help. Now they're at peace. Folks, are you talking about these props? I wouldn't refer to them as props. They might take offense to that. Thinking the old man was part of a prank, Slater played along. What did you help them with? Retribution. Uh, is that why you brought me here? Y you're gonna revenge me? You're on the other end of the spectrum. And we'll be joining the ones in the passageway. What the fuck does that mean? You find out in due time. Thinking Ben was trying to scare him, Slater grinned. <laughs> you sure went all out on this prank. If you say so. Suddenly, the Marine moved the chess piece as a ghostly voice echoed out. Checkmate. Ben leaned back in his chair as he pumped his fists. Damn it. That's like twenty in a row. Slater snickered. <laughs> That's some good animation. You almost had me fooled with this hoax. Ben took a deep breath, then glared at Slater. Playtime is over. And what gave you the idea this is a ruse? I'm not an idiot. It's obvious Bobby and Skeeter put you up to this. Slater eyed the Marine. Uh, and look, you can tell the Army dude is fake as shit. You didn't even do a good job making him. I told you to show some damn respect, boy. Now behaving in a cocky manner, Slater approached the Marine after setting the lantern on the card table. Well, I'm not falling for your trickery. When he clutched the corpse's head, it snapped off at its neck. Ben's eyes narrowed. You dumbass. Look what you did to Mr. Arnold. Slater's arrogant facial expression morphed into confusion when he realized the head appeared to be authentic. Oh, shit. Ben rose from his chair. Oh, shit is right, boy. And you are gonna pay for that. Suddenly, the head opened its mouth and wailed out an ear-piercing scream. Horrified, Slater threw the head at Ben, grabbed the lantern, then sprinted out of the room. Now realizing it wasn't a hoax, but a supernatural realm he never knew existed, a petrifying sensation of terror completely overtook him as he raced down the passageway. As he passed the corpses, body parts, skeletons, and caskets, the gravity of his situation sank in. Knowing if he got caught, his fate would be doomed. When he approached the two coffins containing Bobby and Skeeter, the hair on his neck rose as ear-piercing screams roared out, a sound you'd only expect to hear emanating from hell itself. Eyeing the exit, he saw the two midgets still standing guard at the bottom of the staircase. Without missing a step, he threw the lantern at the two men, engulfing them in flames. 
The distraction worked as he sprinted past them and headed up the stairs. And that was just a little taste of the grave digger. If you want to hear what happens next, you know what to do. I won't spoil it for you, but like it's been said for eons, once the midgets catch on fire, things tend to go downhill fast. A little about our featured author. Wade H. Garrett is an American novelist specializing in the extreme horror genre, and he primarily writes about vigilante justice. He was born and raised in Texas, giggity, and currently resides in Hamilton, Texas. Wade uses extreme violence and the most abhorrent and disturbing combination of visceral words to get his point across. He pushes the boundaries of human torment and suffering, and his book should only be read by the seasoned extreme horror reader. Thank you, Wade. Appreciate it, bud. And do old Drew Blood a favor, would you? Subscribe to his podcast wherever you do your listening and leave him a five-star review and a kind word, even if you're listening on YouTube. He needs soldiers on all fronts to win this battle, and he appreciates it. To hear a premium ad-free edition of tonight's and all the other episodes, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click Patrons in the upper menu. You'll find yourself at chillintalesfordarknights.com, where you can become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to their entire audio archive, all ad-free and available to download or stream. Thank you for your time and for supporting our sponsors. When you support our sponsors, you support this show. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chillin' Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all the latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with them each and every week. Oh, and you can find Drew Blood on Facebook and Instagram, and sometimes Twitter. The Drew Blood's Dark Tales podcast is accepting submissions, friend. If you've got a story or two you'd like to be featured on the show, send it to drewbloodhorror at gmail.com. If selected, you'll get the full treatment, 10 bananas. Well, I'm afraid this is where we part ways, at least till next week. So grab a, mm, looks like you drank all my beer. So I guess you're on your own out there. A couple juice boxes in the other room, I think. I'd like to say hi to a few more listeners of the show. So, the mutual friend, David Ruffin, and Aesop's inspiration. Thanks for all the comments, y'all. I really appreciate them. So, to the mutual friend, David Ruffin, and Aesop's inspiration. May the wind be at your back and made a road rise up to meet you. Stay out of the graveyard until you really need to be there. And until next week, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> uh, good night, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>